All right. Hello. Welcome to an episode of Cats by 90. Big Blue Drew and Aaron Gershon here tonight. Lots of football to talk about. It is, uh, let's see, Tuesday night. So Kentucky's about five days away from traveling down to Knoxville for a noon game. Big game um, as they try to get back to 500 after beating Mississippi State this weekend. But it was nice to see you, Aaron. I actually got to see Aaron for the second time. And believe it or not, we were actually seated next to each other um, for the Mississippi State game. So that was nice. It was nice. And it was a much better result on the field, though uh, (laughs) the offense did not play nearly up to par than it did at the Ole Miss game. But, yeah, no, it was definitely good. I I don't know about you, Drew, but being back in that box is like one of the most normal feelings that even with the masks and the pexiglass in between each workstation and a couple of, you know, less people up there, uh, it's been one of the more normal feelings, normal, you know, just daily routines uh, on game days that – just in comparison to these last handful of months. Yeah, it definitely has been. Feels more like real. That's what you're saying. Feels more like kind of old yeah. time. So it was nice being up there again. Everything's different, but it's almost becoming the new normal, I guess. But I will say, because I know people have asked me, and so it's always super quiet in the press box anyway, if you don't know that. It's almost like damn near soundproof, and there's no talk or anything. So it's, it's kind of a strange to get used to watch a game anyway. So now with what, however many, you know, 10,000 people, or I don't know, however many people has been there, it's even quieter. So it is, it's, it's very different for sure, but nice to have football played. Um, but man, I was going to start actually here because we're, you know, celebrating what, what a joy it's been to have football back. But dang, man, I guess you saw the news, Aaron, uh, late this afternoon with Florida shutting down football operations right now with, with COVID outbreaks. So kind of the, it's creeping up on the SEC and it's, are you getting nervous? No, I mean, you know what? I, I hate to say it, but it was inevitable. I mean, there's every single league has pretty much had their issues. It's going to happen, unfortunately. I think that the SEC knew it was going to happen. Uh, I think it stinks that, you know, two outbreaks in the same week because you obviously uh, had the Vanderbilt-Missouri game is postponed to December 12th because of issues down at Vanderbilt. Uh, we'll see what happens. I think they're going to make the call tomorrow on whether LSU in Florida uh, is going to be able to play on Saturday on time. But uh, you know what? They prepared for this. We saw outbreaks with Tennessee before the season. Uh, they're going to contact Trace, make sure you have 53 men, and if you do, you'll play. Um, so, no, I'm not worried about it. I really think uh, at this point it, it's hell or high water with all these college football conferences uh, now that every single one that said they weren't going to play is going to play uh, – I'm not too worried now. So six weeks ago, and you were kind of, I think, in the same camp as me, like six to eight weeks ago, there was about nothing you could do to convince me that we would be playing college football. And now it's kind of like, I feel like extremely like naive in the fact that like nothing's going to stop us from playing football. I think that these, uh, you know, universities and and conferences have, have put it together and you know, a good plan in place. And it just seemed weird months ago to think, I mean, anyone had COVID, you know, and it was just like lights out, crazy situation, shut all operations down. But, you know, now we've kind of learned to management and isolate and do contact tracing and stuff like that. So not a big of a deal. And that, you know, they had, like you said, they have plans in place. So hopefully it doesn't, I guess, impact any of Kentucky's games, but who knows, maybe it'd be cool to slide a Kentucky game in on a random day or something, just the way that, that things shake out. But before we get into recapping Mississippi State just a little bit, because I have to make a big point on that one. Sure. But before we do that, Aaron, so today, 13 years ago today, it was probably one of the biggest, you know, football victories in, in Kentucky football history um, in 2007, I guess it was, when they beat number one ranked LSU in Lexington. But the real reason I bring that up, I mean, obviously it's cool Kentucky story and tradition and stuff, but do you even remember that? Do you have like any rem- memories of where you were going on anything at all? 
not where I were, but I remember just the Sports Center highlights because that was obviously number one LSU and a team that ended up going on to win the national championship that year. That was the year of the upset in college football. Uh, that was the year where App State beat Michigan. I could uh, Kentucky upset Louisville that year too. Uh, I believe Kentucky went in on rank that game. Louisville was nine. That was the Steve Johnson game. So it was just a year full of wackiness across college football. Uh, that was the only year Kentucky ever hosted college game day later that year with uh, Tim Tebow in Florida coming in. Um, so I, I can't say I remember why I didn't watch that game. I can't say I remember it vividly, but uh, now, you know, working with Dick Gabriel and having guys who have pl- who played for that 2017, like Keenan Burton uh, and Andre Smith join our show over the big blue insider. I definitely, uh, it's as if I've watched it. I pretty much, I've obviously seen replays and it's like, I know every little detail at this point, but yeah, what, what a game that was and what a story it was. I mean, beating a national champion and uh, Kentucky might have another chance against the number one uh, ranked team this year with Georgia and Alabama play each other this week. Uh, I don't think Clemson's losing, so they'll probably hold on to that one spot, but you never know because uh, you'll see Alabama down the road as well. Well, that's hilarious about the 07 game because I was asking you that because I knew how young you were. It was kind of like, oh, it was so young, and then forgetting kind of all your accolades and credentials of stuff that you do now. So you, you probably know more about it than me. So good <laughs> job there. Um, I remember where I was at. I was in Florida. I was just like – I was like college age at that point. I guess I was like 20 or so. So I remember that well. I was uh, quite excited after they won. So pretty cool moment in, in Kentucky football history. But, but man, I got to like get something off my chest immediately because I don't feel like it's being talked about enough. But, like, how in the world – the 74th ranked pass defense in the country, dead last in, in the country after two weeks, get six interceptions on Saturday against Mississippi State. Like, I cannot get over that. Like, every time I get to talking about Kentucky football this week, that's just like all that's on my mind. Like, what are the odds you think you could have gotten on a bet pre, you know, prior to that game, especially if it was directly after Ole Miss when talk of the, you know, the country went as far as Kentucky goes was just horrible secondary Mike Leach is going to light him up so that it was just an incredible incredible game yeah it really was for the defense I mean I think that's got to be a school record first time ever and Mike Leach has been you know doing this air raid since he was under Hal Mummy here at Kentucky as the offense coordinator and Leach took it to Texas Tech where he was a head coach for 10 seasons I believe nine or ten took it to Washington State, where it was the last seven years before getting this gig at Mississippi State. No team had ever held a Mike Leach offense without scoring a touchdown in Kentucky, who could not slow down Ole Miss. And now, you know, you don't want to make excuses because Kentucky played terribly against Ole Miss. They deserve all the criticism that they got from that game. But Ole Miss put 48 in regulation on Alabama. So that Lane Kiffin offense is pretty special down there uh, in Oxford. And then, you know, the Auburn game, I'm not going to say the defense didn't play – I mean, the defense didn't play great. Obviously, no turnovers. Bo Nix and Seth Williams were lethal, and Kentucky really had no answer for either of those two guys. But they were also kind of put on, put in some short fields in that game. You had uh, three turnovers, I believe, by the Kentucky offense, and two of them gave Auburn short fields where they were able to go score touchdowns on them. So, uh, you know, overall, full picture uh, – the first two games, you probably give a Kentucky defense a D, but uh, you give them an A-plus for what they did against Mississippi State. And I think I think it was a combination of two things they were able to get the picks. One, 
Uh, the pressure that they were able to get, it didn't result in that many sacks. But if you go look at the tape and you hear what Mark Stoops was saying um, yesterday during his weekly press conference, uh, Quinton Bohan, Phil Hoskins were getting pressure in the backfield almost every single play, it felt like. Josh Paschal in the first half before he got injured was also back there. He obviously had that great interception. And then the second thing was you don't want to take credit away from Kentucky's guys. I mean, remember, only one defensive back had a pick. The rest were linebackers, and one was a defensive end. So I think it was a lot of right place, right, right time. And some of the plays by KJ Costello and then um, – the backup quarterback that came in, Will Rogers, were just boneheaded interceptions. And luckily, UK had guys in the right place. So I think it was a mix of poor play from Mississippi State and really good pressure and optimistic football from the Kentucky defense. Holistically, kind of looking at it like that, I mean, I think you could go both ways with it, Aaron. I mean, Kentucky do- pretty dominated several categories in the first two losses of the season. Like, it did. you know, yardage, time of, pos- time of possession was like identical for Auburn and Ole Miss. Like, they basically controlled the ball for almost like 37 minutes of the game or something. So, I really feel like these this next game is going to be probably the most important game on the schedule because, you know, getting to that 500 mark and just kind of building on this momentum, I think, is – is crucial because it's so daunting knowing there's 10 games in the SEC. Like, you know, if you drop this one and you're one and three, I mean, you got six SEC games left. Like, that's that's going to be tough to kind of write that shit. But I think that I think they're going to play well. I really do. So I know that you have mentioned that aren't as optimistic as I am, but I really do feel like they're going to go down to Knoxville and play well on Saturday. Yeah, you know, my concern with this Kentucky team is simply they haven't played a full game. Not a, They haven't put a complete game together yet. So week one, you had the offense was not very good. The defense wasn't very good. So neither side of the ball played a great game. I know they outgained Auburn. I thought they ran the ball really well in the first half, and then Auburn made some key adjustments in the second half that kind of took the run away a little bit and made life hard on Terry Wilson, who was a little rusty. It was his first game in over a calendar year off a injury that's ended a lot of people's careers. So hard to blame Terry too much. Then week two, the offense was unbelievable. And, yeah, we see Ole Miss's defense is not very good. But still, for Kentucky, a team that's still having trouble throwing the ball. And uh, that game, it wasn't Terry Wilson's fault, the throwing the ball part. It, it, these We'll get into the receivers a little later. Um, but outside of Josh Ali, they have a real problem there. But uh, they ran the ball down uh, Ole Miss's throat, uh, 408 rushing yards. I mean – Rodriguez over 100, Rose, despite the silly, silly play he made, and then the fumble was over 100. Terry Wilson was well over 100. So they play a great offensive game against Ole Miss, but the defense was atrocious. Uh, No turnovers, pretty much Ole Miss. I think they had two drives that took less than three minutes and just walked their way down the field. It was too easy. And now we go to week three. It's the complete opposite of the Ole Miss game. Defense, phenomenal. I mean, they had no turnovers on the entire year, they get six interceptions and a pick six. I mean, just a tremendous effort from the defense. The only points Ole Miss gets were a self-inflicted wound by uh, Cade DeGraw, the long snapper, just 40 yards over Max Duffy's head. And Duffy wise enough to kick that ball in the back of the end zone to save a touchdown. But, oh, my gosh, the offense was terrible. I mean, there's no better way to put it. I know they, they finished the game with only 158 total yards, 51 of those yards were that one run by Terry Wilson. And you look at their offense, they scored – they had two touchdown drives. They had the one very nice drive that ended with the Keaton Upshaw touchdown pass. The other one, they were set up at the two-yard line, and it still took them, I believe, two or three plays to punch it in. So uh, there was a lot, a lot not to like about the Kentucky offense. I'm really, really worried about their wide receiver depth. 
Uh, now also at tight end, you lose Brendan Bates. He's going to be out for a long time. Mark Stoops said with an undisclosed injury, we saw him go down. Didn't know it was that serious. And then Justin Rigg had a drop or two that Stoops was killing him for after the game on Saturday. So uh, there's some issues there. So I think if Kentucky, I think Kentucky has the chance to play well. My question is, can they play well on both sides or is one side going to show up? That, that's my concern. Is Bryce Oliver going to be back? You know, it's funny you say that because it seemed – remember last year with Isaiah Epp, uh, we knew he was hurt in the spring, and then every week Stoops kind of gave a, right, we'll see. I think he'll be back. No, it never ends up coming back. Isaiah Epps misses the entire year. He's still hurt right now. Uh, that's the vibe I'm getting with Bryce Oliver. Every single week, uh, Stoops says he thinks he's going to play, and he never plays. So I hope they get Bryce Oliver back. He's a huge, huge piece. We saw what he did in the spring game in 19. He had a couple big moments last year. Uh, I think it was Missouri at a 44-yard catch, and then Toledo, he scored a touchdown, his only touchdown so far of his college career. So they need him back. But I, I'm, I honestly, I'm at the point where I'll, I'll believe uh, he'll be on the field when I see him on the field. I mean, heck, I could see you trying to get a decoy advantage going right now because you talk about game planning for Kentucky. You know, they're secondary. Like you said, there's basically one guy – and they're just not getting anything vertically down the field. So, but kind of looking back, I guess, to Tennessee, a couple of reasons that I think that, that they could play well, at least. Stick with me on this and tell me what you think. But I thought that what we saw in game three, that defense was far more resembled what I thought this defense would be coming into the season than at Auburn and then at, at Ole Miss. Like, would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. I mean, last year, look, you don't finish with the second best pass defense in the country on accident, right? I mean, you you got to earn that. They're up there with Ohio State as the only team in the country to allow less than 10 passing touchdowns and both levels of football, college, NFL, even high school now. It, it's a pass. It's a passing game now. That's the generation of football we're living in, and that's fine. But Kentucky, that was their strength last year. They slowed down the pass. And when you slow down the pass uh, in this day and age of football, you're going to be pretty damn good. So, yeah, that was definitely the Kentucky defense I was expecting. They also – I want to see some more sacks, but the fact they got that pressure to me was enough uh, in that game. And it's going to be a kind of a similar – I don't want to say similar matchup because it's not going to be an air raid, but Jared Garitano and KJ, KJ Costello are a little similar. But then I'm trying to get these numbers here. That's why you heard an accidental video come up. Jared Garitano, who Kentucky – this is going to be the fourth time Kentucky faces him. Uh, Tennessee's quarterback. His numbers against Kentucky compared to what they are against everybody else are ridiculous. And mm -hmm. we're going to get those as we get going. But uh, this is obviously a dangerous matchup for a lot of reasons. But yes, that Kentucky defense can beat pretty much anyone in this conference. But you got to put it together. Yeah, I was in Knoxville, I guess, two years ago when Kentucky and I had that awesome team and, and lost to that weak-ass Tennessee team. So, for whatever reason, man, and I did a couple of posts for a Sea of Blue this weekend. Just, I do it every year, and I, like, I know what it's going to be. But, um, like, I go to Wiki, and it'll show, like, orange and blue on who's won for, like, the last 30 years. And it's just staggering when you see that visual of just how bad Tennessee has just pummeled Kentucky over the years. For some reason, they always have their number. But, all right, point number two I was going to make for why I think they can play well. I just still feel like Kentucky is going to be able to rush the ball against hopefully pretty much anyone, I guess, if they if they execute. I know they're dealing with some injuries and stuff. I do think they're going to be successful rushing the ball. They're rushing the ball over 200 yards a game right now, 12 a game. Tennessee's only given up like 120 or something yards on the ground, something like that, or maybe 130. Hopefully there's an advantage there. But I wanted to pick your brain on something too, Aaron, because something I've been noticing like on Sundays, if I'll do a recap article or something like that, three games removed from the Limbo Nair, Terry Wilson by far is Kentucky's leading rusher. 
48 attempts. I think next is Chris Rodriguez, and it, it's considerably more than him. A lot of them are by design. So, I mean, I guess what do you make of that? And, like, you know, 30% of the season over as we go through the next 70%, like, in, in the season, like, would you expect that to stay the same? If, if you were Stoops, would you want Rush? How would you spread out the work? That's a great point. And uh, Billy Rutledge on the BBI has been banging that drum being an issue for the first three weeks. And, yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because it, it's a problem. Look. Terry Wilson's a great runner. I mean, and what I've been really impressed with, and I don't know if, I don't know if you expected you're just seeing him the first three weeks. I didn't expect him to have the burst or the speed that he has mm-hmm. uh, coming off that terrible injury. So I've been really impressed with that. So yes, it's a absolute weapon for him to be able to escape the pocket. But here's my issue. Eddie Grant is calling plays that he called for Lynn Bowden, where it, it, it's like a quarterback draw, for, you know, that's just not – Lynn Bowden's a rare talent with the vision he had, the ability to pretty much be 100% on his reads. And it's not a knock on Terry Wilson to say he's just not as fast, he's not as talented, and he doesn't have the same football IQ as Bowden. It's not a knock on Terry because he has – I think he's pretty good at all three of those things, but Lynn is just – he's a professional. I mean, he's in the NFL now, and, and Terry's not – likely to ever be an NFL quarterback. So uh, I don't understand the play design. And I think it's a problem that he's your leading rusher because of who it's not like you don't have depth at running back. And I know Cavassia smokes on the shelf right now, but look, Chris Rodriguez has been, he's like, a. I hate the Benny Snell comparison because I don't think anyone compares to what Benny Snell did, but uh, he's as close as it gets with his running style, just his, you know, his body type. Um, And he's, I mean, he's averaging, I think like six yards per carry. So he's been very effective, but he only had seven. They only give him the ball seven times on Saturday. That's not enough. And actually this brings you to the one cut I wanted to play here. AJ Rose is so good. And now, you know, I've been high on AJ Rose ever since that spring game in 2018, but he's now fumbled four times since uh, in the last seven games, going back to the last, that would be the last four games from last year. That's a huge – they can't afford that. And we all know the mistake he made putting up the peace sign at the three-yard line. That was terrible. But fumbles are even worse. And here's – here, I'll get give you this. Eddie Grand actually uh, discussed that today on why he's concerned about it, though he is optimistic uh, that AJ can get that uh, flipped around. Yeah, it is. It's concerning. There's no question. And, and there's a, a, an urgency. Uh, and he knows that. And, uh, you know, we start every day. And he, he had not had a problem up until, you know – you had a couple last year, and then uh, and it's got to be zero. Uh, and it's just a matter of, uh, you know, you look at some plays, and, and he's high and tight. He's got that arm locked. And this one, when you're in traffic, you got to get the other hand on there, and you got to grab the wrist. And uh, so, yeah, there's a big-time sense of urgency. And, and, yeah, he can get it fixed. Uh, I've had a situation like that with Chris Thompson at Florida State, and uh, we'll have some things for him to do to, to help him. Yeah, a couple notes on that. Um, one, Chris Thompson, for listeners who don't know, is now in the NFL. Uh, the other note, uh, Eddie Grant's been a running back coach pretty much his entire coaching career, including at Auburn, I believe at Tennessee. That was his gig down there, Ole Miss. So he's been it, and he's the running back coach for Kentucky right now uh, on top of his OC uh, gig. So he, he knows running backs. But the word he used to me is perfect, urgency. They need him to be a lot better. This is a guy who's going to finish. Uh, he's only about 200 yards shy of being the 10th leading rusher in program history. So they got to get those two guys going. There's no way that they want or should want Terry Wilson as their uh, leading carrier, especially because he is still coming off that injury. I just saw Justin Rowland put on Twitter, you know, because everyone I think's kind of saying that they want, you know, Chris Rodriguez to get more carries. And understandably so, especially just with the consistency he's shown. But – 
there is something to be said. And that's what Justin was saying just about having threats down the field, you know, being able to stretch the field vertically like A.J. Rose can do, definitely like Kavase Smoke can do for sure. So I don't know, it's tricky, man. I guess my thing with the ter- Terry and the carries thing is, it's like, you know, I mean, you know, over the course of a game, how many plays are going to break down and is this going to be forced to run anyway? So I don't understand, I guess, you know, sprinkling in a lot of design runs for him. I think, you know, that should just kind of be his third progression, you know, is, you know, make a play and get a first down, which he's great at doing. But I still think his athleticism is going to be sufficient in that position. But like you keep saying, man, the wide receiver spot is just, ooh, it's just tough because, you know, nobody ever steps up and emerges. I think that was kind of the the hope or the expectation in the preseason was that guys other than Josh Ali were going to step up and kind of names you you know you weren't used to hearing were going to be there making plays and it, it just really hasn't happened and what do you attribute it to and is it lack of opportunity or you know is the the mistakes that they've made that kind of you know is that the reason Kentucky's not taking more chances down the field I guess yeah it's con- it's a real concern and first of all give credit to Josh Alley I mean already 208 yards on the season um, he's definitely their go-to guy. Uh, but look, outside of Ali, who has 18 grabs, they ha- Akeem Hayes has four catches, Allen Daly three, uh, Demarcus Harris six, and that's it. Uh, Cleveland Thomas has one for three yards. Um, so that's concerning. That's not going to do you much. That's not going to do you much good, and it's not going to scare opposing um, defenses. So they need someone. I think the reason you're seeing struggles is two. One, last year they just did not throw the ball enough. And those guys that I just mentioned didn't get their feet wet uh, as receivers. So that kind of already kind of turned back the clock on their development. And I think the second thing is, you know, Terry's losing trust in them fast because I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there's been a lot of drops from those guys I just mentioned. The only guy and Ali's I think has had one or two too. So I think it's a mix of Wilson doesn't necessarily have trust in those guys yet. They're not on the same page yet because also Wilson was out almost all of last year, so he didn't build that with them. And these receivers just aren't used to throwing the ball. I mean, what do you, what would your spirits be like if you're Terry? I know you mentioned that because, man, he just gets blamed for everything. And I get that that's, that's being a quarterback. That's, that's how it goes. Everyone loves the backups. We saw Joey Gatewood for a couple plays on Saturday. But where do you think his mental state's at? I mean, because, I mean, he has to get to the point where he can trust some people to throw the ball. But, like, no matter what he does, you know, if they, you know, and they don't make plays, it's ultimately – and he's, he's taking some harsh criticism. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really hard to put t- – Look, Terry's game on Saturday, this past Saturday, wasn't good. His mechanics looked off. Uh, Eddie Grant and Terry uh, – excuse me, Eddie Grant and Mark Stoops both said it. But as far as the receivers go, I, there were some – I mean, they even talked about how he finished 14 for 18, which is pretty dang good, against Ole Miss. And they said he really should have gone 17 for 18 when you get the drops. And when you lose a game and you have three drops – uh, I mean, your confidence in those guys is going to go down. So I think that's something – it's a mix of two things. It's one, you have to improve upon in um, practice. You need to be able to uh, build a closer bond or trust with those guys in practice. And I think you need to review the tape as a group and kind of go over what happened. And I think you're just going to have to you're, – you're just going to need guys to play better. I know it sounds easy, but <laughs> – the, those guys, other than Josh Evely, who just haven't been very good. And then also, you know, you had Akeem Hayes, who looked pretty good against um, Auburn, uh, had a play or two against Ole Miss, too, go out and tweet saying, you know, the best players deserve to be on the field because he didn't play much against State. 
I mean, it's one thing to, yeah, you've probably been the second best guy in that group, but you have four catches for 54 yards. You're not doing that much. Any other what, did, what did Stoop say about that? I know he had to get in yeah. directly. Yes, I didn't see anything. Oh, he just said he'll talk to him. He wasn't going to give us anything. But I, I, it's like there's just no one in that group other than Josh Elliott deserving of any trust right now. And that's a huge problem, especially because Tennessee's secondary has been okay, not great. But you have Georgia, who might have the best defense in the country coming up. Missouri shot surprised people with the win against LSU. So they just need guys to step up in the worst way. Well, what about this, man? I kind of jotted this down on my paper, like kind of looking at this holistically and long term now. Because, I mean, this is like kind of several years of Kentucky not really having any wide receivers that, you know, make their mark on the SEC or anything like that. And the one we probably did have ended up playing quarterback. So what about this being like a long-term recruiting problem? I mean, I guess, cause I, if I was a four or five star wide receiver recruit right now, and you show me a game film of Kentucky over the last few seasons and kind of all the stuff you just mentioned, like it's going to be tough for me to choose that. So I, I just don't know what that looks like long-term because you know, that's the, they need those top caliber players in order to, you know, really achieve what they're trying to do in the SEC. And that might be the one missing piece. It's frustrating. I think that I think at the end of the day, winning solves everything. I think the main reason, if not the reason, you've seen Kentucky improve their recruiting game so much, and it's been significant. We know, I mean, some of the talent they've been bringing in here, like Justin Rogers, is not it hasn't happened <laughs> ever. Mm-hmm. But um, he got some playing time too, man. They were rotating some freshmen, and that was really that was really cool to see. I know I mentioned that to you. It was like, man, JJ Weaver. They were uh, rotating some guys in and out all night. A lot of freshmen got some play on defense. That was cool. Yeah, and I think that's because – I think that comes down to um, the fact that there's a blanket waiver for everybody this year. So, you don't have to redshirt anybody. You don't have to worry about losing eligibility. Putting receivers go, I really think winning is going to solve that. If you win games, uh, people will see that. If you take down big programs like the year Kentucky – took down Florida, took down Penn State, recruits saw that, and it's clearly had an impact. I mean, when some of these recruits, they'll be like, which Kentucky guys do you look up to? And they'll tell you uh, Benny Snell and Josh Allen. So I think it really does go a long way winning. So even though the receivers, it may not be the most attractive thing, we're just watching these receivers essentially shut down and not have a mass. I think they're trying to get them a bigger role in the offense, but they've kind of been shut down as far as just overall production. Um, I, I just think you got to win. If you win, they'll give you a look. If you don't win and the receivers stink, that's a big problem. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Winning does, especially in the SEC, where you, you'd much rather be winning and relevant than, you know, have all, you know, putting guys in the league at wide receiver. I don't think it's going to be an, enough necessarily to do it. And especially the way Kentucky kind of gets those guys in that um, just want to play in the SEC, you know, whether they're not from the South or whatever, that that's the appeal to them to come to SEC. And then dang, man, too, this, the state of Kentucky has just never produced football talent like it is right now. So they're also kind of having obviously a pipeline there with, with a lot of good skill position players that are in the state. Oh man, we can. So what's your prediction there, man? So I'm going to put you on the spot for like a score and everything. Um, what do you think happens? Um, what do you think happens? And do you think it being at noon matters at all, the early game on the road? Look, I think noon actually is probably, believe it or not, a good thing because all the coaches talk about how they like the noon games. You just get on, mm-hmm. get up, you get on the bus, you go to the stadium, and you go play ball, right? You don't really worry about anything else. So, no, I don't think the time affects anything. I think the things that affect things are we haven't seen Kentucky play a full game yet. We've seen Tennessee – 
play two full games. They really did well in both phases against South Carolina. They beat down Missouri, who, you know, it kind of looked like it was Missouri. Well, Missouri went and beat the defending champions. So, I mean, maybe that wasn't as easy a win as we think. And then really the first half last week, Tennessee dominated Georgia. I mean, Georgia's offense didn't do much of anything. And then Tennessee had a bunch of self-inflicted errors and Georgia's defense is just on another planet. So uh, they lost the game, but they put together a pretty valiant effort down there between the hedges and Athens. So I think I'm more worried about this matchup for Kentucky. And then obviously do we even have to go into the three? I mean, uh, (laughs) 31 out of 33, Kentucky's lost to Tennessee. Despite so many of these years, Kentucky's had the better team. Uh, they haven't won in Knoxville since 1984. Mm-hmm. Uh, I researched this week the last time. Tennessee is, of course, ranked number 18 coming into this ballgame. Uh, the stat that bothers me the most, uh, Kentucky hasn't beat a ranked Tennessee team since 1959. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of history on the Vol side. And the only reason – I'm going to pick the Vols for two reasons. One, I'm not picking Kentucky against Tennessee until Kentucky can prove it. But I just think that Tennessee this year and under Jeremy Pruitt, I know Kentucky fans are not going to like to hear it, but they're coming, man. That offensive line they have reminds me of a lot of what Kentucky's had the last couple of years, where now those younger guys are developing into stars. Trey Smith is going to be a first-round pick. Cade Mays might be a first-round pick. They got so much talent up front. Jarrett Garantano, I did find those stats. Jarrett Garantano against Kentucky, his completion percentage, 72.54, 10.86 yards per game a 7% touchdown rate on his passes. He's never thrown an interception uh, against Kentucky. Against everyone else, 60% completion rate, uh, about 7.5 yards per pass, uh, throwing touchdowns on 4% of his passes, and he's throwing picks on 2%. Uh, he's a Kentucky killer. So there's a lot of, a lot I just don't like here for Kentucky, and it's really concerning because, uh, unfortunately, the next opponent's going to be Georgia. Man, they should have beat them so bad in 2018. So I think oh about that God, big yeah. game he had. This ridiculous. That's right. But yeah, you're right. His, history is definitely not on their side for sure. It's going to take a big effort, man, to go down there and win. There's no doubt about it. Um, I think it'd probably take a, maybe even a little luck, big turnover, something like that. So hopefully Kentucky's defense, you just got to imagine, man, I mean, you, they literally are not going to be able to go down there and play any more confident. I mean, every single player on the team basically had a pick. Um, they all played well. So you got to assume that, that – their spirits will be high, and they'll come out hopefully as, as the best version of themselves. I know I'm looking forward to it. I like the noon game. I, I'm with the coaches, man. Get up, get it over with. It's freaking noon, so I think you'll be up and awake and then, you know, no distractions and stuff. So it'll be, be interesting to see what happens. And I think if Kentucky was able to win, man, just it just writes the ship so much. I think that this was one of those games. I know I had split up the season into, like, three quadrants, basically, like games Kentucky really had to win and should win you know, games like Georgia and Alabama that you're just going to kind of write off before they happen. And then those kind of tweener games where that was really going to make it to where was it a, you know, a successful or kind of middle of the road or a, a bad season. And Tennessee's kind of in that group for me, probably the the number one game in that little quadrant. So huge game, huge game. I'm going to go pre- score prediction though. Let's see. Whew. Both teams are averaging right around 26, 28 points. I'm going to say 28 to 17 Kentucky. Somebody has a big play, like huge play, whether it's like A.J. Rose, you know, long 75-yard run, pick six. It's going to take something like that. Tennessee six-point favorite. I think it's been right around six points. So it'll be huge, huge uh, point swing there if Kentucky's able to win by 11 points. But I'm going with the Cats. I love the optimism, and I hope I'm wrong. I, I mean, look, this Kentucky team – 
is really good. I still believe on paper uh, from a depth standpoint, experience, yada, 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 this might be – this is definitely Mark Stoops' best team, and if not the wow. best team Kentucky football's ever had. But just the inconsistency – and the history against Tennessee for me are what scare me. It's not necessarily that I don't have faith in Kentucky. Uh, it's just every time we expect them to beat Tennessee, something stupid happens and they lose. So I think it'll be – I think either way. And, I I mean, I know usually when they go down to Knoxville, they get crushed. And when it's here in Lexington, it's more of that heartbreak. Mm-hmm. But I do think it'll be – regardless of what happens, I do think we see a close game. I, I, I just don't see this game being a blowout in either direction. Well, hopefully um, everyone can kind of keep a, a sound mind throughout all four quarters because I just cannot get over just the polar disparity between us sitting there watching that old Miss game, 42 to 41. And, I mean, both of us could have probably caught a touchdown in that game if we could just find a little open space, which wasn't hard to do. <laughs> to the following game when you have this, you know, potentially lethal offense or at least you know they're going to take their shots come in and throw the ball 70 times and not even score a point. Like, it's just – I just still can't get over just how the script flipped in, in just one week. So, no clue what to expect. And I, I, I won't be surprised either way. Um, but I'm, I'm really hoping that the Cats capitalize on that defensive momentum and ride it out to the win. But, man, it was good to catch up. You're not going to – are you going down there? No, we got declined with all these stupid uh, – yeah, so a little disappointed, but I'll be on the Zooms after the game and obviously watching every second and be pessimistic, but hopefully uh, they can change me there. <laughs> hey, well, no matter what, then somebody from the Cats by 90 podcast, you know, had a correct prediction. So always come to, you know, us for your news and your preview shows. But good yeah. as always, man, it's good to be back. We're going to try to keep these up. Hope um, if you're a listener, we appreciate it. You know, more weekly rhythm, I guess, like early in the week, Tuesday, so we can kind of recap Saturday and then Aaron can give you a lot of a lot of good insight coming up from his his work with the press conferences and then working with Dick Gabriel so Aaron you're the man man good to talk to and we will uh, I guess talk next week yes sir